Welcome everyone to the College Parent Podcast. My name is Lauren Smith. And my name is Cody Klein. And we want to thank you for joining us. On today's episode, we will be interviewing Jeff Salingo, a New York Times bestselling author of three books on education and the job market. For nearly 25 years, his in-depth reporting and powerful storytelling has provided practical insight about the future of higher education and the workforce to university leaders, corporate executives, as well as students and parents. Today, we'll be discussing the value of a degree, the emerging technology in higher education, and financial impacts of desiring to have a college experience. Let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome, Jeff, to the College Parent Podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So your book, College Unbound, The Future of Higher Education and What It Means for Students, covered many important topics that really highlighted the value of a degree, the emerging technology in higher education, and financial impacts of desiring to have a college experience. We're now a decade into higher education from when this book came out. I would love to hear about the direction you think higher education is continuing to go in and if higher education is where you thought it would be when writing this book. So higher education is kind of where I thought it would be when I was writing this book, but probably a little bit further behind than I thought. Uh, when I wrote the book, as you mentioned, 10 years ago, it was right after the financial crisis of 2008. It was right after the big uh, baby boom in terms of millennial students who were leaving college at that time being replaced by by Gen Zers. And it was right after massively open online courses really took hold uh, in uh, in higher education. And I really thought those three things together, you know, a financial crisis, uh, a decline in enrollment uh, with Gen Z, and online courses would really push change forward in higher education. And it didn't quite happen the way I thought it would. For the most part, since you know 2012 to 2019, there was slow change. Uh, in fact, online education wasn't didn't get picked up as much as I thought um, in the book. And the while there was a lot of financial pressure on colleges, the stock market did well enough and, and enrollment kind of remained steady uh, that many colleges didn't have to change. And of course, then the pandemic hit. And I think that's obviously one thing that I did never projected. And I think the pandemic changed a lot of things. I think for one, students liked the optionality that the pandemic gave them to take classes online. They still wanted the residential experience. Uh, they still wanted the in-person learning, but not necessarily all the time. They wanted some flexibility and hybrid and online learning gave them that. And I think that that now is pushing forward colleges and universities to think about online learning in ways that they didn't. The other thing it's done is really exposed kind of the financial underpinning of colleges and universities because higher education as a whole has lost more than 1.3 million students. And as a result, you know, colleges are really suffering or some colleges are really suffering in terms of enrollment, in terms of finances, which again is pushing them to think in different ways. So definitely I thought that change would have been here by now. Uh, but it's, I think it's now coming because of these external factors. So one of the things I've discovered in writing my books is that the churn and skills needed to keep up in any job are increasingly turning and churning at a, a faster rate. And that's going to require students to think differently about how they approach the job market. So instead of being prepared for a very specific job, for the rest of your career or even part of your career. What's really going to happen now is you're going to have multiple jobs and multiple careers over the course of your, your lifetime. And as a result, you're going to need a set of skills that are transferable from one job to another, but also translatable to another job. 
what do I mean by that? Like if you could write, for example, you could do a lot of different jobs, right? If you could do, if you could communicate, you could do a lot of different jobs. You know, even if you know things like spreadsheets and and data visualization, you could do a lot of different jobs. So what I think is going to be important is less about learning for a specific job or learning for a specific major and getting a basis of skills, particularly around writing, communication, problem solving, collaboration, things like that, that are going to be absolutely critical no matter what job you end up doing. And kind of going off of that, uh, you you're pretty much creating value within this degree. So how would a student or a parent go about calculating the value of those certain skills or valuing a degree that has those skills in it? And how would you differentiate that within like a liberal arts degree, which is more of a rounded education versus a science degree? Well, I think what what we need to do when we think about the ROI of a degree is we need to know what the degree is giving students. And so I think that we need, you know, so first of all, we have more information now on this than we've ever had before. So for example, we know the federal government, the college scorecard now allows students and parents to look up what a particular degree at a particular institution pays off in terms of that major. We know how much they make that first year out, that second year out, their third year out. We know how much money they take in in debt. And so that's information that we didn't even have five years ago. Very useful. The second thing that I think parents and students need to ask is, what is the skill set I'm going to get in this major? So think less about the major. Think less about the classes you're going to take. But what are the skills I'm going to learn? And how do those skills match up to what employers want today? We know that there are this set of skills that employers are asking for around communication and teamwork and problem solving and things like that. So look through any job that you may want to have four years from now, if you're starting college or five years from now, and look at the key words in those job ads. And those are skills. And is the degree that you're going to get going to give you those skills? Ask your professors, your would-be professors, ask your department, ask the school that you're considering. That is going to be critically important to trying to determine whether this payoff for the degree. So on one hand, there's the data we have in the college scorecard. And in the other hand, there's data about skills that we know from the job ads. And now we have to know our college is providing those to students. So the biggest thing that parents and families and students are thinking about when going to college is how much it's going to cost them. How important is it and what factors are important for families to know when selecting a college, such as their institution's overall graduation rates, their retention rates, and what other factors should they be considering when making the choice to go to college? So they really should be looking at three factors. Uh, one is academic fit. And what do I mean by academic fit? Are, are the, you know, do you, are, is the graduation rate above the national average uh, is the retention rate, meaning the number of students who come back uh, every year uh, above the national average, both are which are around that national average is around 80%. So definitely look at that. What is the graduation rate for students like me? Because the graduation rate differs, whether you're a business student or you're a man or a woman, it, it, it differs by gender, it differs by race, it di- differs by first generation status, things like that. So ask questions around that. That to me makes up what, what is the academic fit. Look at your your classmates. Are you going to have to move ahead of them to keep up? Are you going to have to push yourself to keep up? Or are you going to be kind of above uh, ahead of them the whole time? Again, how do you compare with the other students at that school? So that's academic fit. Second thing is social fit. Uh, really critical to think about, you know, where do I want to be at school? 
Do I want to be in an urban area? Do I want to be in a suburban area? Do I want to be rural? Do I want to be big or small? Do I want to have where sports is a big thing or fraternities and sororities? That's the social fit that you're looking for. The third piece is one that I don't think students and parents look at enough, and that's the financial fit. Clearly, parents are worried about paying for college. I'm not saying that. But often we say, well, we really don't know how much this college is going to cost us. Why don't you apply anyway? See if we get in and then determine whether we can afford it. And I think you should actually flip that. I think you should look at colleges that you think you could truly afford. We now have something called the net price calculator. Every college has it on their website. You can look up what you potentially could get in financial aid. Not always exactly, but close enough. And by doing so, you could determine whether that's a good financial fit for you and whether you might get a lot of merit aid, for example, a merit aid going to students who don't necessarily have financial need, but uh, in all cases, but that have the academic profile that the schools want. So I would look at fit in terms of three dimensions, academic fit, social fit, and financial fit. What transformations in higher education need to happen in order for college to be more accessible, to be more affordable, and individualized? And how does one one's time completing a degree factor into that transformation? Well, I think the biggest transformation that has to happen is we have to start to stop thinking about college as a one-size-fits-all, one pathway from high school to college and then to career. You know, Recently, I interviewed a couple of different students who are, who are currently in college including an adult who started 17 years ago, a first-generation student at at Georgetown. Um, And in hearing their stories, the thing I heard over and over again is the reason I'm succeeding at this school is because they met me where I am, right? I had, you know, I'm an adult student. I'm time-pressed. I don't have a lot of time to take classes, right? They they helped me figure out my schedule. And that's going to be critically important, especially as the number of overall college students declines. And we want to attract new types of students, whether they're veterans. Uh, Starting next year, uh, the Pell Grant is going to be extended to incarcerated or formerly incarcerated people, right? There's all of these different personas of students that we don't serve very well now, but that if we started to build programs to serve them and serve them better, we can actually track them. And that, to me, it moves us away from this one-size-fits-all pathway that we think of college and says, you know, we have these different personas of students, so we should have different, essentially, products to serve them. That's really fascinating, even just thinking of, I mean, I went and got an international business degree and then that I went on that track. So if we even made it like skill oriented and all those different sort of things, like how could we completely change college? Um, and I'm going kind of off the rails with this, but how would it, in terms of your own, um, where we're at right now, where do you see colleges heading in terms of how do you build into an institution that like financially incentivizes these sort of traditional tracks how would you bring colleges into this individualization? So I think part of it can be done through technology. We now have more data on students than ever before. We know how they're coming into the institution. We know the classes they're taking. We know when they sign on to their learning management system. We know when they swipe their card at the at the dining hall. So we have all this data. Unfortunately, we don't have that data is not being mined for wisdom to draw from it. So we don't always know what to do with it. And that to me is how you start to build individualized uh, pathways. Now you can't build necessarily 
personalized pathways. You can't have a different pathway for every student. But you know trends by looking at that data about how students are getting through, or in some cases not getting through your institution. And can you build programs that allow them, where are they getting stuck? That allow them to get through better and faster. That to me is what this looks like. It it looks at the persona of students you're already serving. It looks like the, it looks at the data you already have on them, and then says, okay, can we cr- create three or four or five pathways from that? That's awesome. And now, kind of to pivot to a different uh, aspect of it, and bringing the parents back into this, in terms of them partnering with their student and choosing the college experience, you mentioned before that a lot of st- a lot of colleges right now have been in financial crisis due to the pandemic and sort things like that. How can a parent or student identify those colleges that are struggling? What what sort of things can they look for when choosing a college, whether it's keywords or phrases on their website, or does accre- accreditation play a role in that process? It's a great question. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of data on the health or the financial health of, of colleges. One thing that I suggest is that Students search Moody's or Fisk or Standard & Poor's, which are all the big bond rating agencies. So all these agencies do analysis of colleges that are looking to take on debt. So not every college is rated, but you could look in those rating actions. Sometimes they're downgrading them. Sometimes they're upgrading them. You can look in those, grade, those rating actions for what these financial analysts think of that institution. And I find them fascinating in terms of being able to find these. So you just Google you know, the institution and the name of these different uh, bond rating agencies, because it gives you a real sense of, you know, the strengths and weaknesses um, on the on the institution. Uh, and then you you the other, another thing, another resource is a financial score that the U.S. Education Department gives to every school. And you can find this on the U.S. Department of Education website under the College Navigator. And you could find what score they're giving these universities. Again, they're really just looking at the review of books, uh, of the financial books. And then finally, you mentioned the accreditor. Um, you know, every institution has to go into reaccreditation basically every 10 years. And in those reports, which are usually made public and on the website, you can read what the accreditors, and these are people who are in the business visiting these colleges, trying to figure out, do they still deserve to be in business? That's really fascinating. I didn't think about looking at bond agencies to see what debt that colleges have. That's amazing advice. Uh, kind of going in the same sort of fashion with that and like students choosing schools, uh, we are seeing that the the transfer rates among colleges is has been rising since 2013. But how should parents advise their students on understanding the mobility of their credits that they're getting at these universities when deciding which schools to apply for? I mean, it probably goes back to accreditation in some form or fashion, but would you give any uh, wisdom to that in terms of that transfer credits? Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. Just because you've earned the credit in higher education doesn't mean it's going to transfer. In fact, most of the time it doesn't transfer. And so I think one of the things that you want to do before you go anywhere is to ask about their you know, credit transfers, or if you know you're going to be stopping somewhere before you go to a four-year college. So say you're going to go to a local community college, and then you know you're going to go to the flagship university or one of the state universities. You want to ask about what are their agreements to transfer those credits? Because if you don't ask about it in advance, you're never going to necessarily know on the back end. And by then, many of those classes won't transfer. And it's kind of ridiculous why they don't transfer. For the most part, colleges like to own their own courses. And so they think that a course taught by anybody else is not worthy of anything. They also like to own the revenue that comes with it. And so if you're taking 
you know, half your classes somewhere else and then transferring as a junior, well, they lost half of the revenue that they were going to get from you. Again, pretty greedy on their part, but something uh, institutions or sorry, something that students and parents should know. Thank you. That's a really big thing that we see at Belmont when students are transferring and just if they really understand what that means of the credits that they've earned. Um, So that's really great advice. When I was reading your book, an excerpt from your book that stuck out to me that was on page 141 said, students need to know what they will get in return in terms of skills, knowledge, and employment prospects if they pick college A over college B. Until that happens, families will continue to pick a college based on location, marketing, recommendations from friends, or reputation determined by a magazine. So thinking about when college parents are going on school tours or just in general working with their students to select a college, who and or what departments on campus should families be asking these questions and what types of answers should they expect to receive in order to make the best choice? So they definitely should obviously interact with the admissions office as much as possible. That is their job. But when you're on tours, you have a chance to interact with other people, including faculty members. And I think they are a uh, a group of individuals that most people don't interact with, especially as they're a prospective student. Yet, by the way, those are the people that your kids will be spending most of the time with. So while you're on the tour, can you kind of walk off the tour and go and visit some professors who are having office hours? Can you sit in, in on the back of a class and sit in the back of a class that, that's in session while you're there? Just to get a sense of who the professors are. How are they teaching this particular class? You know, Are they able to see students? Are they in their office during office hours? What's disappointing to me when I've been on college tours is way too many of them will go into the lobby of an academic building. They'll describe what happens there, and then you'll leave. You'll never get to see a live class. You'll never get to see professors outside their offices. We know that first-year students getting to know professors is a hallmark of high-impact practices that really help students uh, do well in college and eventually graduate. And so the only way to ensure that's going to happen is to see if that interaction is actually happening between students and professors. So as far as higher education as a whole, do you think that that actual on-campus experience is should be a part of a student's actual experience? Or do you think if a student was just online getting their courses, would that kind of just be okay for them as far as like learning those skill sets that you've mentioned? Yeah, I, I mean, learning, we know from research that 18-year-olds, particularly, their brains are not fully developed yet to learn fully online. doesn't mean that they can't take a course online, but to learn fully online, I think, is a um, is a mistake. And so I think that we need to still have a residential experience. Now, the question is, can that residential experience look different? Does it have to be 15 weeks, for example? Can it be a you know a low residency option where students are on campus for a couple of weeks and then they're maybe off doing an internship and that's where they take an online class right so could we create different models is what I think is absolutely critical and if we're able to create different models then again we go back to this we don't have to have a one size fits all for every student but I am 100% in on residential experience the question then is does the academic experience need to look only face-to-face, full-time for those students. Can it be more flexible? Can it give them more options? Can they take some of their courses online, some in person, some of the individual parts of the courses online, the rest of the course in person? But we definitely need to have an in-person component to college. As we think about the parents in this, 
with this episode, what is the most important thing that parents can leave this episode with, uh, thinking about their child's future and their own pursuit of higher education? Like what, what's that one golden nugget that we need parents to hold on to? This is a consumer purchase and treat it like you're buying a car or house. I know uh, college is an emotional purchase as well, but this is a big business for colleges. It's a lot of money for parents. Treat it like you would that you're buying a house, buying a car um, and and kick the tires, ask questions, because that's in the end of the day, you're going to be happiest with your purchasing decision if you ask those questions. Awesome. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Jeff, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Uh, if our listeners want to find you, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on any of my social media handles, which are uh, Jay Salingo or Jeff Salingo at Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. Uh, they can also find me and find out, you know, reach me uh, at jeffsalingo.com, which is my website. And that's uh, S-E-L-I-N-G-O, uh, jeffsalingo.com. All right. Thanks, Jeff. As we wrap up this episode, we want to thank Jeff Salingo for taking time to be a guest on our show. If you want to learn more, check out our other College Parent Podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a great day and see you next time.